After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, campfire, and camp stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with ahi verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, Lacrosse is at it again with a new line of lace-up hunting boots, the Navigator Series. And in that Navigator Series, there are two models. There's the Atlas for men and the Windrose for both men and women. To find out more information about this new Navigator Series, visit lacrossefootwear.com. My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet chasing bear. Uh, something that's been in the ground for thousands of years. How did it get there? Was it yeah. dropped? Was it shot at something? Right. And, and, and it's buried, and you come along and pick it up, and all you can do is wonder Yeah. how these people live. You, you, everyone I've picked up, and you probably, I guess this is what a lot of people think, but you wonder, how was it lost? Was it shot at a deer? Was it shot at a bear? Was it just discarded because it was not usable anymore? Was it lost? Right. Did someone give it to his son and his irresponsible son lost it? Did, uh, <laughs> that, I'm sure that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> that boy right there's lost a lot of stuff of mine. <laughs> if you are a hunter, there's probably deep inside of you somewhere some real curiosity and a desire to know more about Native Americans how they use this land and how they hunted on this podcast we are going to jump start you by 15 years in your knowledge of native american stone projectile points number one number two who came here first in north america where they came from and all the different ideas of where these people came from and an understanding of the different time periods in which humans have been here in North America. And the reason I say 15-year jumpstart is because for 15 years I've been highly interested in Native American stone projectile points as we began to find points on our property in different places. And I've just gathered information from different sources, different places. I never really could find like a dummy's guide to stone projectile points in Native American history in North America. And so I wanted to sit down with an expert, and that's just what we're going to do on this podcast when we sit down with Dr. Adam Gray. 
and he talks about, well, we just have a fascinating conversation for about an hour and 15 minutes that really, if you listen to this, you will have a ton of valuable information that's going to, that's going to project you into more study or if you just learn some of this stuff, you're just going to be fascinated. So, incredible conversation. You're going to enjoy this podcast. I want to draw your attention as well as we come into the fall season here and we're baiting bears in different parts of the country to our friends at Northwoods Bear Products. They have a full line of bear scent attractants and Northwoods is known far and wide for their Gold Rush, which is a fryer grease additive, which is one of my favorite products that they have for drawing in bears. But they've also got just spray bottles full of scent, all types of different flavors. They've got some dry powder scents. But check out our friends at Northwoods Bear Products this fall. And we're pounding away right now on the September-October issue of Bear Hunting Magazine. This issue will be in the hands of our subscribers before September 1st, and it's a very good issue, a lot of good how-to stuff, a lot of uh, a lot of great content. We've got an article about Ed Vance, who was on the last podcast. We've got uh, some scouting tips for fall bear hunting. We've got five creative ways to kill a bear in 2019 in the fall. We've got the story about my 550-pound Oklahoma black bear from last year. So if you're not a subscriber to Bear Hunting Magazine, check it out at bear-hunting.com, bear-hunting.com. We are in Melbourne, Arkansas. This is my first time to Melbourne, Arkansas. Well, welcome. Yeah. (laughs) We're in Melbourne, Arkansas, and uh, I am in the home of Dr. Adam Gray. You're you're a medical doctor, Adam. That's correct. That's yeah. correct. I've just been calling you Adam. Yeah, that's okay. That's all, all right. right. Please call me Adam. So where you you work out of Melbourne? I is do. there a hospital in Melbourne? Uh, there's not a hospital here, but I have a family practice clinic here where I, okay. I lease space from Baxter Regional Medical Center in Mountain Home, and I have a family practice clinic there with two nurse practitioners. I also work in an emergency room in Salem, Arkansas, and, and I also attend to patients in five nursing homes around okay. here. Okay, little jack okay. of jack of trades, you know. Yeah, master of none. Why I'm here is uh, is you are you were you were referred to me by a guy that I kind of follow that's big into digging arrowheads for the layman's terms, right? But stone projectile points, Native American artifacts. That's what you've devoted, as I understand, the last 15 years. You've you've become a collector. You're a you you find arrowheads. You you know the. You're you're a regional expert, I would say. Thank you. Um, I I try to be. You know a lot more than me. Let me put it that way. (laughs) Well, it's something that I've devoted a lot of time to. And physicians are weird people. They don't get into anything just a little bit. Right, right. (laughs) They're they're all or none, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, But but since I found my very first arrowhead with my son's mother about 15 years ago, it's become a hobby and and a lot of people would say an addiction. You know, there there are people that that do this a lot and and it it takes up a, a large percentage of their time. But it's... It's a lot of fun, yeah, and it's great fun for me and for my family. And I, I read a lot of archaeology journals and learn about uh, what we're finding. We, we, and you can go back and learn about how these people were living, you know, yeah. back thousands and thousands of years yeah. ago. Well, I'll, I'll I'll start by 
telling you a little bit of why I'm so interested in this. And, and, and I've already shared it with you a little bit, but several years ago, we got mules. We own seven acres, Washington County, Arkansas. There's a creek that borders the front side of our property and a small tributary creek that borders the western side. We started getting these mules, and the mules made trails. They had spots where they were rubbing, you know, that where they were dusting, where they ate the grass down, and where runoff started to create, you know, bare spots out in this field, which is bad for pasture health right. and soil health. But we started bumping into these stone points in our front yard. <laughs> and and I'll tell you what I tell the kids every time we pick one up is and it's so unique when it happens on your own place. And we're gonna we're gonna get into a lot more than just that. But you know, when I picked up that airhead, that first one, I told the kids, I said, the last human that touched this before me was planning to cook his meal over an open fire with a critter that he killed with this stone. Yes, and I have said that exact thing to my kids on numerous occasions. Yeah. Uh, something that's been in the ground for thousands of years. How did it get there? Was it yeah. dropped? Was it shot at something? Right. And, and, and it's buried, and you come along and pick it up, and all you can do is wonder you know, yeah. how these people live. You, you, everyone I've picked up, and you probably, I guess this is what a lot of people think, but you wonder, how was it lost? Was it shot at a deer? Was it shot at a bear? Was it just discarded because it was not usable anymore? Was it lost? Right. Did someone give it to his son and his irresponsible son lost it? Did, uh, <laughs> that, I'm sure that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> that boy right there has lost a lot of stuff of mine. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, that's the mystery of it. I think that's the intrigue of finding this ancient stuff with people that were really just like us. I mean, they were they were humans. They 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 had they had dreams and they cared about their families and they wanted their sons and daughters to prosper and they 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 had needs that had to be met. I mean, they were humans, but they lived in this lifestyle that is so different than us right they were camping 365 i mean you know and following the food uh, yeah. food and water and yeah. shelter those are the three things they had to have yeah you know? and and so they they developed over time <clears throat> these technologies that that would allow them to procure what they needed in right. order to to reproduce to survive and eventually to thrive and, and become you know the, the mississippian period native americans that we all think of when we hear the word indian you know? Right, right, right. Well, okay, this conversation is, is going to be difficult because you know so much and I have so many <laughs> questions. And we're sitting here in your, your office, your library, and you have this amazing collection of stone points from all over. Well, most of them would be from the south, I guess, they but would. some of them would be from other places. Sure. I, I collect points from, from mainly from what we call the central states, which would be from Nebraska to West Virginia and Michigan down to Louisiana, that okay. area. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, all the, all the points in this area are somewhat related to each other uh, through time and in, in different space. We call it spatially. Uh, yeah. You know, they overlapped areas. Yeah. And uh, as these point types evolved over 13,500 years, you can see uh, similarities between different types of points, and you can see the evolution process. And, and, right. and that gives you clues into what the climate was like and what they were hunting. And, right. uh, and, and what they were using these points for, because not all of these points were shot at things. Some of them would have been knives. Some yeah. of them may have been a true spear point. Some may have been a true arrow point. Some may have been right. a, a tip to an atlatl dart. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, 
Well, there's several things I want to talk about. The the first thing, and, and we're approaching this from the standpoint of like we're talking to people that don't know anything right. about well, about these people. And so my <clears throat> my first question, or what I want to talk about first is, where did these people come from? Boy, that's that's the sixty four dollar question right there. And <laughs> and and there is a, there has been a theory that's been around for a long time, and it's called the Clovis First Theory. And that's uh, that's the uh, null void point right now that that we're trying to figure out is that the case or not. But that theory it, it says basically that it's believed that the first Americans came across a Siberian land bridge right. over into Alaska through an ice-free corridor through Alaska and Canada and populated North America and then spread out into Central and South America from there. Right. Um, yeah, been, that's been widely accepted for a long time. A long time, a long time. Right. But there are some problems with that theory. And, and one of those theories is that, one of the problems with that theory is that, that, that when they radiocarbon date, um, you can't radiocarbon date a point, but you can radiocarbon date something that's sitting next to it, like a, like mm. a burnt acorn shell or hickory shell. Okay. There's something that's got carbon in it. Uh, mm. When they get these associated dates for Clovis points, they date older in the southeastern United States than they do anywhere near Alaska or the northwestern United States. And so that doesn't make sense. It doesn't. But I want to theory. even stop you right there. So the, the Bering Land Bridge would have been an ice-free zone because of glaciers and a much colder climate. So the oceans were lower. They were much because lower. Because much of the Earth's water was capped into these right. glaciers. Right. And so basically from Alaska to the Kamchatka Peninsula of Russia would have been this thousand-mile-wide yes. land bridge. Yes. I recently heard a podcast from a, a guy, uh, Steve Ranella. So some of this I'm, is just fresh on my mind. But they talked about how... And certainly people did cross that land bridge. They did. So it's not, we're not debating whether they crossed it. Right. We're de- what you're going to talk about in a minute is the theory of were they the first. Right. Because that's been the, that's been the main thing is were they the first people. And so the, the, that theory would have been that people crossed over from Asia and they came in and from Alaska basically populated North and South America. The Clovis site is in New Mexico. And so, so what you're saying is, is that, the oldest site that we know of from radiocarbon dating and finding these points, finding this mm-hmm. mammoth skeleton would have been older than anything north of it. Right. So if they would have been the first, there should have been older sites Correct. up there. Correct. And that's not what they're finding. And so that doesn't support that theory. And so mm-hmm. there are some other theories that are being put forth right now. And, and some, some have a lot of supporters and some have a few one of those uh, theories is that, okay, let's, let's go back and talk about the Clovis point for just a minute. Clovis points are, are what we call fluted. The, the base of the point has been thinned with something called direct percussion, where they hit the rock directly and knock flakes off of it and thinned it. Mm. Um, that technology does not exist anywhere else on planet Earth. Hmm. It is a it is it is only in North America, and it's widely regarded as being the first invention in the new world wow. um, because it's not That's found anywhere else. But it's n- unlikely that someone stepped across the Bering Land Bridge and knocked out a Clovis point and went from there. They were using some kind of tools before that technology was developed. So a lot of people now believe that the Clovis technology 
started somewhere in the southeastern United States, and the technology spread much more rapidly than the people spread, but it spread probably northward and westward into a population that already existed. Okay. And, and so if, if you believe that, then you still have to ask the question, what kind of tools were they using before that, well, and where did they come from? Okay, so if that if what you just said is what happened, then does that n- tell me, explain to me how that could nullify that the, that they weren't the first people, the first people didn't come from the Bering land bridge. Right. First of all, we, we do have a lot of information that we know that, that native American populations in the United States and in Central America share certain genetic haplotypes with people from Siberia. So we okay. do know that the DNA came from siberia okay at least some of it you know there's no way to prove all of it didn't but so we do know they came that from there but but the the other every all of them did that's a good question we really don't know there's some some theories that say that there may be some european dna in groups um up in the northeastern united states that share a lot of their language patterns with norwegian languages Hmm. and the and and that there were blue-eyed native americans up in that part of the country also Mm. and so so people that would have crossed over maybe a similar type of passage uh, you know maybe from norway through greenland and iceland that area maybe uh, skimming along the uh the um oh when it when there was uh when the oceans were lower right and there was a land bridge okay so could be could be right okay so that's that's another theory and then there's also a theory that the clovis technology came from a previous technology that 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 existed in France called the Salutrian technology. There are a lot of similarities between the two technologies. Mm. Uh, Salutrians didn't uh, flute their points, but but other than that, the technologies and the toolkits that they used were very similar. Mm. Um, so there's could it could it not be possible that two people would come up with the same thing though independently? Or yes. is that highly unlikely? It's, it's highly unlikely because if it were to happen, it wouldn't happen in the same continent. It would have happened around the world, like so many other different technologies have. Okay, I see what you're saying. So you're saying because it happened one place here and something very similar happened one place here. Right. That they're connected. If it had happened ten places, right. maybe this is like it would make more sense. This is just the way that right. kind of if you right. have a rock and you want to kill something, you start mm-hmm. knocking around on it, you get that point. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, convergent evolution. I think that I think the biologists would call that. Oh, okay. Uh, so okay. rather than divergent evolution, but there are many many technologies around the world that have evolved separate from one another, but ended up being, being the, the same. same thing. Okay. You know. Okay. Uh, but but I don't think the fluted point technology is one of those at all. So we're looking at we're looking at a, a fluted point type that, that was invented in North America and found nowhere else in the world. The first American invention. Right. Very first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, huh? Yeah. That's that's an interesting way to look at that. Um, there are also some theories that that maybe um, some Polynesians or other groups populated the Western Hemisphere from South America, the very southern part of mm. South America, where there are some very old uh, sites down there that date date much older than anything in North America. Uh, there's another point type in South and Central America called the Hell Hobo Point. And there are some people who are theorizing now that that point type traveled north from there and then became a fluted point uh, called a Cumberland point. Hmm. And that Cumberland points evolved into Clovis points. Now, that's a sticky that's a sticky subject with a lot of people because <laughs> everybody's got their opinion on this. But the, the problem with it is Cumberland points haven't been well dated anywhere yet. Well, so are you saying the, the oldest sites that we know 
between North and South America are in South America? Yes. Okay, so for that, with that, when did that knowledge come forth? It's been in the last 15 or 20 years. So relatively um, new. Right. I mean, I guess for... And, and I've talked to several vocational archaeologists about that, and, and some of them just blow it off and say, no, there's problems with the data, the dates aren't good, things okay. like this. But there's a whole other camp, and, and that's how science works. You have to put forth something... And then you discuss it, and they come to a consensus about it. But, Twenty years later, they right, decide if it was right or if it right, was wrong. Right. So, but but inside, I mean, it is plausible, I guess, that inside of the Bering Land Bridge theory, what would you what would you call that? Just so I'm using uh, the right. Clovis name. first, and that, Clovis that, that, first that kind of encompasses the Bering okay. Land so Bridge. with the the Clovis first theology, it's. It, it would just be happenstance that just the oldest site we found was in South America. Right. Like, so there's older ones. We just hadn't found them. Right. It just happens to be the one we found right. way down there. And and there are some, there are some sites in North America that, that have been radiocarbon dated human occupation older than any, any known Clovis dates that we have in North America. Um, the topper site, uh, the Metacroft's uh, rock shelter site, some sites that we know, there were people living there. We just haven't found any tools yet or anything that's diagnostic that can tell us these people were these people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they've got some very crude stone tools. Uh, I think that's eventually going to happen. I think those sites are extremely rare and we just haven't found the right one yet. Yeah. You know, when you think about the amount of land space in, a, in the amount of that space that has actually been excavated by people that knew what they were doing. Right. I mean, I'm just right. a novice just thinking. Right. But I mean, it's like there could be something two feet under the foundation of your house never. that could unlock right. the whole story and that we'll never know. You'll, you'd never know it's there. I mean, and, so I guess you, I mean, you just have to work with what you do know. Right. And and I'm, I, I would call myself an avocational archaeologist, an amateur archaeologist. I, you know, I don't do this for a living. I do it for fun. I don't excavate in a controlled fashion like archaeologists do but their archaeologists are limited in what they can do they first of all they're relying on public monies most of the time uh, which is limited and it's just not a priority in our culture unfortunately but they're also limited by time they have to stand back and and brush dirt off of things and find them and record them and we're, we're you know people who like to go out and find arrowheads you know, they do it at their, when they want to, when the weather's good, and, and they do a lot of it. And so most of the knowledge that we have about point types actually come from people who don't do this for a living. I see. Yeah. Hmm. That's yeah. interesting. So the best thing that can happen is is for archaeologists and, and people who hunt these points to come together and, and find a way to work together to identify a site. And I'll give you a good example. Dr. Julie Morrow over at ASU is, is a friend of mine, and she has spent a significant portion of her career looking for a Clovis site in Arkansas that is stratified and can be dated and studied, and it just mm. hasn't happened yet. Hmm. Um, and she's not going to be And by like, Clovis site, that means the technology of that fluted point right. with a thin right. bottom. Right. And, and and she's not likely to find that unless somebody comes forward somewhere and says, hey, they found one. We're, we're finding this stuff here. You need to come excavate this. And yeah. so, you know, we've got to figure out a way to work together. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. So, okay, so we've established that the now, would you say the Clovis first is still the, the predominant it, it, theory? Yeah. But Until, there's just some other things that kind of 
don't make sense. Don't totally make sense. Right. And and so right now we're still going with that theory, Clovis first. That's the oldest point type that we know of. And so that was 13,500 years ago. Yes, roughly, yes. So, but that's in New Mexico. Right. So the first, the first people that came over the Bering Land Bridge would have been how long ago? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, there are some sites in North America now that, that date up to fourteen, fifteen thousand years ago. Okay. And they probably And that's the buzzword number that I have heard. Fifteen thousand yeah. yeah. years. It seems so there to be. there've been there's been human occupation in North right. America for fifteen thousand right. years. And you know, they probably didn't didn't get a group of ten thousand people and march them across the Bering Lambers. They probably yeah. came in waves. Yeah. You know, ten or twenty or thirty here and you know and yeah. so there was kind of constant infusion of, of these people coming across here seasonally, you know, when yeah. the weather permitted. Uh, they were probably following food, which is what most you know, yeah. that's what they were doing. They were following whatever whatever they could eat. Yeah. And uh and so eventually they just found their way over here and then got a little further south and now you said something earlier about the the genetics so mm-hmm. talk to me a little bit about that like so they've taken because there's still intact tribes of native americans that are alive today yes and so they're able to do genetic testing on these people yes. compare those that and i know nothing of this other than just the idea right. of it with people over in from where? From Siberia, primarily. Uh, they've done some testing on DNA haplotypes from Siberia and Japan and even Polynesian countries and compared that uh, to DNA that, that has been voluntarily given by Native Americans. Now, an interesting caveat to that is is that a lot of the North American Native Americans uh, that we're familiar with, those tribes, they refuse to give any blood for sampling. Um, and, and, and they have their reasons for that, and you have to just respect that. So most of the uh, haplotyping that's been done has been done on Central American, Native Americans. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, so they're having to compare mm. to those, but, but it's assumed that they're related, you know, and, and most likely they are, you know. So that's, that's just an interesting little caveat. So, like, so without a doubt, these people can be connected back to over there. No doubt. No, no doubt, doubt at all. No doubt at all. And that, and and uh, Dr. Morrow has been involved with a, with a little bit of that. I believe it's the Anzic side out in the northwestern United States, where where a, an infant was found buried with Clovis uh, tools, Clovis bifaces, large what they call platter bifaces, and Clovis points. And DNA was recovered from that uh, skeleton and compared. Oh, really? And so that skeleton. It has been shown to be related to uh, Native Americans in the Western Hemisphere. Now, okay, if if it if the Clovis first idea wasn't true, wouldn't there be people in South America that were connected to some other part of the world? Right. Right, and and I'm not getting any of that um, in in the literature that I'm reading. Okay. I get very little coming out of South America. You probably would have to to talk to somebody who knew a little bit more about that. But I yes, um, so okay. and and it's and and that study, by the way, is is in its infancy right now. Okay. They're they're still identifying ways to mark genetics through time. Uh, mitochondrial DNA and certain haplotypes um, seem to persist through lineages, and, and some don't. So they're still finding these markers, and it's and it's and it's blossoming right now. They're going to mm. start testing people uh, and and find out that there there may be some European DNA, there may be some Polynesian DNA. We don't know, you mm. know, until you mm. get a large number, a large sample together. You and when they do that, you're going to find some interesting things. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've established that 
people for sure came across there. There's some, we don't know exactly where everybody came from. Right. But then what did they do? And how did they, because would pretty much every part of North America have had some Native American habitation? I mean, I know in, yes. in, in other than places that would have been covered by glaciers, well, like these, way the, up north. These people were obviously explorers, and they were not afraid of what was around the next corner. I don't know if you've ever been on a good fishing stream, and you can't wait to see what's around the next corner, yeah. but that's the way they were. Yeah. And they were they couldn't wait to see what was what was around the next corner. What what could I eat over there? And, and they mm. eventually just spread out across North America, filled every corner of it, and then and then they started populating. Uh, the, the period that where the Clovis people were here is called the Paleolithic period. Um, and, and really, Native American history in the United States can be kind of divided into about five different time periods. The Paleo would be Clovis points, Folsom points, a lot of other So in the 13,500 years right. sec- period of time, there's right. five sections. Five sections of, yeah, five okay. th- sections of development and they are used to describe how they were living. Okay. Uh, so this Paleo period, there were bands of people, probably small bands of people, uh, that were chasing megafauna, big animals that don't exist today and mm-hmm. they were they were hunters that's what they mm-hmm. were doing they lived on meat they mm-hmm. may have you know collected some things along the way you know right but they were not planting anything they were not foraging they were hunting okay. and uh and they were hunting things like bison antiquus which are old bison that were much bigger than the bison that we think of today yeah. um, mastodon Mammoth, giant sloth, giant beaver, um, short-faced bear. I don't know if you've heard of yeah, that one or not. Big bears. Big stuff. Yeah. And, and yeah. these people were probably pretty tough. You didn't want to come across them. So the paleo period, well, just for people listening, this is a this is something that I have as just a novice at this, something that's marked in my mind that's helped me as I've tried to understand stuff back, this big geologic time and stuff, is the the Pleistocene period mm, right. ended 10,000 years ago. That's about right, yeah. And the Pleistocene, so so 10,000 years ago is when all those big guys died off. Mm-hmm. That's when the mammoths died. That's when the short-faced bears died. That's when the saber-toothed cats died. That's when the American lion died. Right. Like, but there were humans living during that time here. They were here. And for a long time in American archaeology, they didn't know that. They didn't believe that. Um, but okay. then, you know, Clovis and Folsom sites changed that. They okay. found man-made points mixed in with skeletons from Mastodon in Missouri That's and incredible. Mammoth in New Mexico. And, and that was wow. a, that was big. That was huge to, to know that mankind, men were here with these animals at the same time. Wow. You know, that was a big deal. Wow. And yeah. that was back in the 30s, you know. So we've known that since then, and it's just is that kinda, when the Clovis site was found yes, by that guy yeah, in New Mexico, right? Right. The 30s. Mm-hmm. Okay. Long time ago. But then there was something else in Missouri. Uh, yes, no, I, a, I'm not another, familiar with that. There's another site up in Missouri, and there's a state park just uh, this side of St. Louis, and I believe it's called the Kimswick site, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty neat place. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, and I, I, I'm trying to just piece all this together. Right. So this is just like I'm having a private conversation with you trying to answer <laughs> my questions. But, okay, so there's 13,500 years of right. occupation, five different time periods. The first one was paleo. Right. And during that paleo time period is when 
humans were hunting mastodons That's and fighting right. short-faced bears. Right. Okay, so start me back from there. All right. So from there, um, as the as the environment changed, the glaciers were retreating, the, the climate was warming up, and these megafauna were disappearing. Yeah. The, they, archaeologists call it the economy. The economy changed, what they were mm. doing. Mm. Uh, and so they had to figure out different ways to to survive and so that's really when the white-tailed deer became a big big food source uh for for natives in this area and were there white-tailed deer back before the most certainly and there were elk in arkansas there were elk well no in the pleistocene yeah. yes they were oh yes. really yes they, okay. they probably but they just were one that survived that whatever happened right and so there's a big thing of something happened very rapidly right. very quickly mm-hmm. that killed off all these critters and and the and the the vegetation changed uh the landscape changed and i'd be honest with you if i had if i had 10 guys with me and and we were going to decide whether or not we were going to go try to kill a mastodon or if we were going to hunt down a white-tailed deer you know go for the mastodon and you know if if you can coordinate a hunt and bring one down you can feed your whole clan for a long time you're gonna make a good living right deer are not easy to kill and so when they started having to rely on killing elk and deer and smaller animals, they had to come up with a different way to do that. Mm. And, and so the point-type technology really changed about 10,500 years ago to about, about 8,000 years ago. Mm. Um, and, and they weren't making these fluted points anymore. They were making different types of points that were placed on the end of a stick that was slung at an animal with a tool called an atlatl. Um, that's when that technology started, right? Ten thousand five hundred right. years, somewhere ago. around that. Time well, that period. was what I was going to ask it. So all the Clovis points were spears. Yes, they were probably on hand-thrown spear. right. spears. Right. Okay. Yeah, and and they were having to surround those creatures and, and bring them down. You know, trap them in a watering hole, or something like that. But but all those disappeared, and so they had to start uh, you know hunting other things to survive. And they also started probably picking some berries. You know, in two or three thousand years of experience, there was probably somebody in that. Tra- of people that knew that the red berries were good and the blueberries were bad yeah. and so that now they've yeah. got some kind of an idea of what's safe to eat and what's not so they started foraging more and 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 eating meat when they had it they probably were eating a lot of mussels out of the you know freshwater mussels and and using a lot more things eating rabbits and small mammals things like that uh, so everything changed and in this particular region of the country uh, one of the one of the most spectacular and fantastic point types in North American history evolved and it's called the Dalton point mm. uh, and, and around here Dalton points are, are highly regarded for their workmanship and for their quality their size uh, and and they're they're a view, very beautiful point type and and that type persisted for maybe a thousand years and that point type then evolved into uh, probably several dozen other point types after that so it's kind of the granddaddy was of that a lot of was them. that the first was that the next progression from yes, Clovis? Right. Clovis and, to and Dalton. Right. So Clovis Describe a Dalton to me. A Dalton point, uh boy, some can be over a foot long. Most of them mm. are two or three inches long. They're generally the outline is they call it auriculate, but it's it's shaped a lot like a Clovis point. Uh, and some of them have some fluting, but the fluting on them was created by different means. It wasn't they weren't hit directly with another rock. They were hit indirectly with something placed in between the point and the in the striking oh. device. Mm. And a lot of Clovis point, or excuse me, Dalton points are not fluted at all. Um, mm. But they're they're very similar in outline. But you can look at them and see the way they're flaked. The flaking pattern's different. The fluting type is different. Um, so this, it's we're not just talking about. And this is something I learned earlier. Is 
we're not just talking about shapes. You're talking. You're you guys are seeing technology right. of the way that they're flaking these points. You bet. You can you can look at the flaking pattern on an arrowhead, and you can tell generally what time period it's made from most of the time. Wow. Yeah, hmm. and in the way they made their arrowheads change through time. Yeah. Now the Clovis the Clovis culture was paleo, and then the Dalton culture transitioned that Paleolithic lifestyle into a more a little bit more settled down lifestyle. And so they call this Dalton period, the transitional paleo period. Okay. And so they're very old, very old points, but they transitioned um, these, these hunters into a hunter gatherer, you know, type of of situation. And and that's the archaic. And that's what came after the Dalton points. Um, and, And these people were relying on anything they could get their hands on, they didn't travel nearly as far, uh, and they were probably, now by this time there were more people here too. Right, they were. They're starting to right, and they were and they were starting to form. I wouldn't call them tribes, but clans maybe or groups of people that were interrelated. Um, they probably met uh, certain times of the year at big rivers and got together and shared technology. They shared stories. They probably. Uh, married off daughters and sons to other tribes mm. to you know uh, to to you know prevent any inbreeding and they, they did a lot of things mm. um, but they were but they so were this more would settled. be the archaic period right this, we're so still that would archaic. be the third right. after the Dalton that's Correct. the period right so paleo Dalton archaic you got it and okay. and the archaic can be further subdivided into early middle and late but but for what we're talking about just lumping it together yeah, yeah, is, is, is going to work. Um, and that's taking us to like 8,000 years ago. Yeah, the, the, the early archaic probably started around <clears throat> maybe 9,800 years ago, something like okay. that, and okay. lasted till about 5,000, 4,000 oh, okay. years ago. So it was a big period. Very long time period. <clears throat> and and, there, and it's, a, it, it's a time period because of the, the progression of technology stayed the same? It, it's, it's, Are the time periods differentiated by a progression of technology? That and economy. That, that Just the way they made about, a living. The way they made a living. So everything mm-hmm. for that 5,000-year period was fairly stable? Fairly stable, yeah. In terms yeah. of what kind of animals were here, and, what what kind of technology they had, how they were making a living. Exactly. Okay. And, and that as makes that, sense. And as those populations grew and they learned how to do things, life got a little easier for them. Uh, and, and so what happened after that is, is that people started interconnecting with each other a lot more. Now, let's go back to the Dalton culture for just a few minutes. They're the first, um, they're the first people in North America that, that used woodworking tools. Um, mm. As far as we know, uh, they made an ads, a, a woodworking tool that's fairly diagnostic of their culture, and, and they were they were making dugout canoes. And so they were the mm. first people that were probably using waterways uh, that we know of. And, and they were also the first culture in North America to, to bury their dead in a location over time. Now, all of these people most likely buried their dead, uh, but these people buried them in the same locations repeatedly and, and so the oldest known cemetery in north america is over in green county arkansas and it's called the sloan site mm. uh, and it was excavated in the 1980s um by by uh dan morse and some other archaeologists from this area and it was it was interpreted as a as a burial so site th- that would be interpreted from a anthropological position as a pretty a fairly developed society yes i mean it's, it's yes. starting it's coming from these people that were just like right just just kind of spread out uncivilized right. you know, it's, 
and then this is showing, hey, these people are starting to. They're getting some structure to their society, some higher. And that would have been in the Dalton time period, right, about and ten thousand years by ago. By this time, there wasn't tribes. No, we, I don't they were think, just people, right? We really, when we think of the word tribe, we tend to think of Quapaw, Catawba, you know, these names yeah. that we have. But these people, these people weren't. They didn't have names. See, yet. that's news to me, right there, Adam. I, I mean, I've never even thought of it that deep. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you, I hear about these Native American names and tribes and would right. have thought that all these points could be brought back to a certain. Yeah. Pre- this is making a lot of sense yeah. to me. So th- they were they were just people. They were just people. And then as this over 10,000 years mm-hmm. when society got really organized, that's when they started having these more modern tribes. Right. And they probably right? didn't, they probably didn't have an, a need for a name for us. Because they weren't coming across other people that often, so they didn't have to have they didn't have to have mm. a reason to say. So identity would be forged only when you right. had other people that right. you needed to differentiate yourself from. Right, right. Okay. okay. And so you know, and and also you have to remember they didn't have a written language, and so this yeah, stuff yeah. was not written down. It's passed down through oral histories, and 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 I know Native Americans, and they talk about. The ancient ones, just like the Egyptians call it, to refer to their ancient ones. They're probably referring to people that were here a long time before they were, but didn't have mm. a name, you know, mm. just mm. the ancient ones. Yeah. Um, so but going back to these Daltons, they were they were a very big group of people, and they, they did things that hadn't been done before. They started to settle down more. Uh, they made very high-quality uh, artifacts, uh, mainly projectile points. Um, they weren't into making any kind of artistic uh, expression types of, okay. of no certainly no pottery uh, no effigies of animals or anything like that um, but but they were they were a predecessor of many different types of points that evolved over the archaic period uh, and the archaic period in Arkansas is is a very interesting time period um, in northern Arkansas there are a lot of caves and and there were a lot of groups of people that utilized those caves in, on a regular basis. Yeah. You know, and big overhangs. Right. We got these big limestone yeah. bluffs with big, beautiful you overhangs that made and great shelters. Well, most most people who hunt uh, have been through some of these at some point or another and seen the smoke stains on the top of the cave, and that's old. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were utilizing these for shelter, uh, stay warm, stay dry, and and they were still probably in small bands at that point. Uh, but that's what the archaic in Arkansas is all about. It was, was people moving up and down these rivers and streams, trying to stay close to fresh water, trying to stay warm, trying to stay dry, trying to find some food and just eke out a living. You know, mm. it was tough. Yeah. You just can't, we just, we just well, can't imagine it. I don't want to pull you off of your, cause we're going down through the time periods and I, I w- it would be good to get kind of an overview of the different time periods. Mm-hmm. So maybe this question is going to throw us off course, but when did they get to Arkansas? <laughs> when, when, did they, when did they get to Arkansas? We we have found Clovis points in Arkansas. They were here 13,500 okay. years ago. Wow. Um, and, and a matter of fact, you know, at my house here in Izzard County near Melbourne, um, at my house sits on top of a site that we find arrowheads in a lot. And my mm. son Liam has found a Clovis point in our yard, mm. in our field. Wow. That's 13,500 years old. So they were here. You know, they were here within, you know, that at least that technology was here. There may have been here people here before that, but we know that Clovis was here in Arkansas. They're here. Are there Clovis on the East Coast? You bet. Really? You bet. Florida, all the way up into New York and and even Southern Canada. uh, See, I would have thought there would have been like a, like a, I mean, if they came from the Bering Strait, it seems like, I don't know, I guess that technology just 
scattered and there's no way to really tell what came before that or they they were following food you have to remember they were following food some of these later archaic and dalton cultures they may have been traveling traveling up and down river systems and staying within a kind of a defined area that they called their own but but the but the Clovis people and these Paleolithic people they were following food. If if the if the mastodon went over there, they went over there. I mean, yeah. it was they just followed the food. I wonder how long it would take a gone foot to travel from Alaska to the east coast of the United States. It's interesting because that study's been done, and, yeah. it, and it takes a long time. And that, and that's one of the reasons that, that this doesn't make sense is because the the. the the dating period for Clovis points is just within a few hundred years, but they estimate it would have taken man a lot longer than that. Just hunting and following game to spread out through North America. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. I wonder how fast a guy could do it if he just walked. I mean, like <laughs> a, two years. Uh, it would take me a lot longer than that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they would have had no reason to just walk in a dead. I mean, no. they wouldn't have done that. But and if you think about it yeah. from that perspective, though, like, I mean, maybe they could have in five years yeah. walked from there. The right. East Coast. I mean, right. so I guess when you think about it like that, it's not as big a stretch as you might think. Yeah, but I, you got to remember too, there were no roads. There no was roads. Nothing. There yeah, was yeah, nobody yeah. even to tell you which way to go. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was more meandering than it was walking right. a straight line anywhere. But up and down mountains, can you imagine? They didn't know where the mountain passes were. They didn't know. Yeah. You know, and they had to follow water. And so anytime wow. you had to follow water, you're you're not walking a straight line. You're following a river. Yeah. which is rarely a straight line. And they didn't have any reason to move other than food, or yeah. maybe they've been pushed out by right. something, mm. another group. or yeah. So it's like it's not like they were trying to go somewhere. No. They were it, just trying to get to the next place that they could right. make a living. Right. Imagine, yeah. imagine walking out into the Bear Woods with all your stuff and knowing you're never coming back home again, and whatever you had with you, that's what you had to survive with. You know, wow. and then you had to make it when you ran out of it, you had to make more of it or you didn't get any more, you know, wow. arrowheads or points or wow. arrows or whatever. It's, it's, it's beyond our comprehension. We have it so it easy really these is. days. It's, it's tough to think about, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I've been out hunting before and after a few hours, my feet get cold and I'm done, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they couldn't be done. What do they think the lifespan of these like paleo people would have been 30 years? Yeah, that's a, that's a probably a pretty good estimate. You know, they yeah. probably died of trauma or, you know, some type of disease that teeth was, rotten uh, out. Right. These people probably looked a lot older than they were. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think about that. A 30 year old man being an old man. Oh yeah. In He's your probably, culture. Probably a wise man. He'd, he'd seen yeah. a lot probably after 30 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what comes after archaic archaic well the archaic the archaic is replaced by a a, a time period called the woodland time period okay. and in the woodland time period again can be divided into two or three more um time periods but we'll stick with just woodland they were much more settled um they started developing pottery uh, they they learned to use clay. They used to they had a little more free time, right. didn't they? They did. They did. They, they had started things. making some art. Well, they had figured out where the good spots were. It's like it's like you don't tell somebody where your good airhead spot is. They had found where the good places to live were, and they stayed there. You know, mm. and and they started uh, learning to gather a lot more, and and maybe a little bit of planting of things going on. Maybe he's planting some wild uh, wild seeds and and starting to, to yeah. know how to do this, developing that kind of knowledge. Um, but but that allowed the Native Americans in North America a lot more free time, and that's an important thing because when that happens, um, cultures start creating things of beauty. 
things that reflect their identity, um, who mm-hmm. they are. And, and that's, uh, that's important uh, because the Hopewell tradition that, that kind of sprouted out in Indiana and Ohio and Illinois and Tennessee and Kentucky um, had its roots spread out all across the United States. They're, they're bringing in uh, obsidian from the western United States that can be found in mounds in Ohio. Uh, so the Hopewell tradition was basically this idea right. that these tribes were coming together to trade you and bet. to do you stuff. Bet. It probably so, okay, wasn't, that's what that means. probably wasn't one group of people, but it was lots of groups of people that were interconnected by networks and trading and understanding. Yeah. Um, and so, they're, you know, they're bringing in mica from Georgia. They're bringing in conch shells from the Gulf of Mexico and, mm. and Pitkin Chert from north central Arkansas. Uh, they're bringing in the finest materials from everywhere, and they're trading things now. And so things are, are more stable. Um, they've got a lot more access to, to better food, uh, more calories, uh, better shelter. They're learning how to do things. And from that really erupted an artistic uh, movement from Native Americans. That's that's wow. It's they made what were some, they making? They would make um, clay pipes. Uh, they would they would were starting to use copper uh, to mm. make plates and, and ornamental objects, hmm. uh, a lot of uh, what we call effigies. Um, an effigy is a, is a representation of usually an animal or a person, but they would turn those into, into pipes and decorative objects and pendants and all kinds of things. Hmm. And so we have a lot of that knowledge. In the woodland period, which when, when would the woodland time period have been? Mm, it probably would start around 3,500 years ago and maybe okay. go to about... 2500 2000 years ago. It was just ago. like it's, yesterday. Yeah, as it was it was not <laughs> it's it's still very old, but it's that it's much younger than than these people that were chasing the, yeah. the mastodon. Um and then you know, after this woodland period, the cities of North America started mm-hmm. to develop. And and you know, you have to think about um, you know, Poverty Point down in Louisiana, uh, mounds that were made over just east of Little Rock, uh, Toltec mounds, and 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 you know the mounds up in in uh, southern Illinois, the Cahokia mounds. This really transitioned into the Mississippian period. It's called. Um, people were living on much larger. Is rivers. that the, is that the final period? This is the final period before contact. Pre last pre contact. Let me period. let me try this. Paleo. Dalton, Archaic, Woodland, Mississippi. You got it. Man, I've heard those words my whole life and I've every it's real confusing unless you just Yeah. Sit down and just do what we're doing here. Exactly, and it, and it's taken me 15 years of a lot of time to, to learn right. all this stuff yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and to and, you know to acquire a collection of points from all these different time periods, yeah. so you can really visually see it. Uh, well, that makes and, sense. Unfold in front of you. So the the woodland would that have been the time period when the tribes began to probably so build some identity yeah, and yeah. have names right and, right okay. i would say so okay. they probably had identities at that point and 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 they were interconnected uh and they were using waterways to travel much easier with large amounts of goods things like that and from that's when these big cities uh, you know erupted and that probably had a lot to do with the introduction from of maize uh from central america now, okay. now corn's got calories. We all know that now, mm-hmm. uh, and so we try to stay away from too much of it. But back then, that was a big deal. Calories are a big deal, and so when yeah. they started getting these extra calories, they didn't have to try so hard for food anymore. They could mm. plant it and harvest it, and so they started building these mounds, one bucket of dirt at a time, and they built these huge cities. Mm. One of the things we don't know is why did these cities 
fall apart. What, what, the social structure fell apart, and by the time Europeans got here, a lot of these cities had been abandoned for a long time. Oh, really? Yeah. So they were gone a long time. Right. Did they build the mounds to keep out of the floods? Uh, probably not. They probably had a hierarchical structure to their society. Oh, it was just where like having a big mansion on the hill. You bet. And, and, the, and the guy that, that was running everything, or the girl, I guess, was living on top of that. Yeah, it was, it mm. was um, you bet. So when Europeans got here, they found remnants of these cities right. just like we would today. Right. You bet. Wow. Yeah, for the most part. Mm. Uh, you know, there are a lot of accounts of DeSoto coming across tribes in eastern Arkansas that are felt to be Quapaw, uh, or Nodina, maybe tribes. Um, but, but they were kind of, they were a little bit scattered by the end. They weren't living in these huge so cities. So there was a stronger population of people pre-European settlement. Yes. I mean, like, yes. I guess the idea, what I would think is that the Native American cultures were at their peak and then Europeans showed up and broke right, it all up. Right. But that's not necessarily that's, true. That's not necessarily true at mm. all. And in my mind, my, my personal way of thinking about this is that by the time Europeans got here, Native Americans were almost in this post-apocalyptic stage. Hmm. Something happened. And they really don't know what happened in a lot of these large Hmm. cities and and places that existed. They really don't know if it had to do with disease or warfare or Hmm. uh, a drought. Was that across the country? um, I mean, I know you're talking about these Arkansas sites in the delta of Arkansas. You bet. You bet. And, you know, you, Hmm. you get out into into Mesa Verde. Uh, and, and see the Anasazi, there, there are entire cities that were carved into the walls of rocks, yeah. and these people just up and disappeared mm. uh, just in a very short period of time. And really nobody knows why, you know, to wow. a lot of these. But I think they're trying to get enough information together where they can kind of put the puzzle together now. Hmm. So That's, that's eye opening to me. I, I, I didn't realize that. So now we did, we don't get me wrong. We did some damage too. I'm not no trying doubt, to no play that. Understood. Uh, but but you know it was it was the last nail in the coffin. I think. Uh, yeah. You know and. Uh, well, hey, that that really helps me. That that breaks down all these periods in a pretty simple way. Um, I want to go back to the to the stone projectile point. So there's all these there's lots of different things that you could find out here you know these axe heads or Mm -hmm. grinding stones i mean there's they left they used stone a lot but they used a projectile stone point okay we said that in the the uh clovis period they were just hand-thrown spears right then when we got into the archaic period they started using the atlatl which if you don't know what atlatl is go look it up well it's just a it helps you throw a spear like twice as fast right atl atl just google that you'll get a a visual of it when did when did they get bow and arrows bow and arrows were very late development Uh, Mm. probably not until the woodland at least and maybe mississippi and yeah so for five thousand years they were using an atlatl you bet did the bow cancel out the atlatl no, um, when Europeans got here, there were still groups of people in this country that were using those. Hmm. Uh, it was so the the bow and arrow had not completely replaced it um, at all. You know? Okay, would the atlatl would have been better for killing big stuff though? Probably so. It's because it's a it's yeah. a it's. It, I mean, you're you're chunking a much bigger. You're right. chunking a spear. Right. Super it's kinda, fast. It's kind of like using a thirty out six for an elk, and, and you know, using a, a two seventy for a white tail deer. I mean, you, you pick yeah. your pick your weapon for what your you know know yeah. your core. You know what's going to break it down where did the archery technology come from that's a good question um did it start up everywhere all over the planet at the same time 
it had it it did develop uh, all over the world and and within a relatively short time span uh, now is that uh, now you said convergent you talked yeah. about like yeah that's convergent evolution was that techno that technology would have had to have been connected you'd think it would but it ha- it started happening here at the same time that it started happening. Where right. else did they have bows? Oh, they, they have bows and arrows in, in Africa, the Aborigines in, in Australia, um, you know, over in, wow. in Asia. It, all of these different uh, Aboriginals were using this technology at about the same time period. We, nobody really knows how that happened. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's crazy because there was no email. There was no, no internet. I, it would have had to have been human to human if, if the technology was shared. It would have had to have been human to human contact. Maybe or, aliens. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe and then, aliens so that means that somebody would have had to have gotten from North America right. to, to Europe, or right. from, I mean, that's that really is such a mystery. Or, it is. or maybe just in the progression. Like, if you think of this as like a board game, and the board game is is that you're this human that's dropped onto this planet, and you got to make a living, and you start napping mm-hmm. stones together. Maybe there's some connection and progression. There is of just what you would do. You like, bet. I mean, is that? Do people say that? Yes, and and that makes that makes so, sense. So in theory, you could like they could discover the same technology at the same time as here disconnected just because of the way they were living their life right okay you know if if two different cultures on the other side of the world uh, you know developed a wheel at the same point uh, at some point they're going to decide they're going to hook two of them together so they both invented an axle you know it's the same type of thing yeah yeah i I think it is a natural progression and Mm. and it's also you know necessity is the mother of invention as the game got smaller and we pretty much eradicated a lot of the the larger uh, species here there was a need to shoot uh smaller quarries also which a bow would have been good right 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 and and, you know a lot of people call the types of arrows that that mississippian period people used bird points and then you know a lot of a lot of things go around people saying that they use them to shoot birds well that's not true they just i don't know why they call them that but they do Hmm. we call them arrow points uh, because it was a true arrow point they were shot on a bow and arrow Um, now the bigger so this would be a question i would have I have found small points that are like an inch long, mm-hmm. an inch wide, let's just say yeah. an inch by an inch. Mm-hmm. Certainly that would have been connected to an arrow shaft. Possibly, but that's also uh, large enough to be connected to a, you know, a, a half inch wide shaft on a, on a metal really? dart also. Okay. So yeah, only the smallest ones were probably used as true arrow points, but there's no way to know for sure, you know. Mm. Hmm. Um, there are there are historical uh, documentation of of uh, the ty- some of the types of arrow points that we know of today that were being used on arrows when people got here, and so we know some of those point types were definitely being used on arrows. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're talking about stone projectile points. You said that there was a reason that mm-hmm. they would have like like this fluted Dalton point. And I, if if you're in front of a computer and listen to this, just type in Dalton point and you can understand. We could describe it, but it's almost too hard to describe verbally to get a good picture. But what I want what I want to step into now is the different types of points and get to this calf creek point. You bet. Okay, but yeah. start with the start with the Dal or the the Clovis. Start with All the right. Clovis and why so it's a real specific technology, but why? And and, and our people understand that because we're bow hunters you bet and i mean we talk about well, broadheads all the time and different types of right. animals we'd shoot well, with I've, them. I've been bow hunting for about 20 years 25 years now and i've seen the technology in broadheads 
changed dramatically in a very short period of time. Yeah. You know, with, with use, you understand what works and what doesn't, and what may be better. Right. And right. there's a lot of different people out there experimenting to see what works better now. Um, but, but they were doing the same thing. You know, they, they got back from a hunt and sat down and said, Hey, what went wrong? Yeah. <laughs> and so somebody, yeah. somebody figured out a way to do something a little bit different And these Clovis people. They, they were fluting their points. They were basically thinning the point at the base of the arrowhead. The, uh, the part that would touch point. That, right. that would touch the shaft where it was hafted onto the shaft, okay. you know, the hafting element. And, and most people believe that was to thin it out, to make it where it would, you know, kind of, lower lower the profile of the area of that shaft directly attached to the to the arrowhead that's for better penetration right probably so yes so that okay so so that the because they would have taken a stick Mm -hmm. and split it Mm -hmm. shoved this air this stone point down in there yes and so if the arrowhead at the base of it was super thick then it would make that wood fold out even further right if it was thinner you bet so it was a issue of penetration and that's what most people believe and have believed for a long time and i've read i've read a study that was done here fairly recently that showed that the thinning they there they believe that the thinning the the fluting was done because it lessened the likelihood that the point would break when it did penetrate an animal there's some type of a shock absorbing property to thinning that point like Uh. that. You know that's that's still debatable. How would they have also. known that? Exactly, that's my point. <laughs> hey, th- those people weren't thinking. How can I make this? How can I design this? They didn't have a wind tunnel or any way of testing yeah. this theory. I, I don't believe that. I mm. really don't. I think they were trying to thin it down. Maybe maybe, maybe it's true, but that's not why they did right. it. Right, right. Maybe yeah. that happened. Maybe that it did decrease the breakage percentage, whatever. But I don't think that's why they were doing it. No. Yeah. Okay, so, so they you know they progressed into Dalton points. Uh, things changed a little bit. Uh, Dalton points transitioned into probably twenty or twenty five different point now, types. Now, did they did they necessarily get better over time? Uh, well, it depends on how you define better. Better means more. If if better is more suited for your environment, yes, by definition, okay. because Dalton okay. points were not what was needed during the woodland period and so Mm. the points that were made during the woodland met their needs better than dalton points would have so Mm. you can only you can only surmise that the the best point that existed was the the technology i guess the technology never went backwards no and it never really did no everything changed um so you get into the archaic um, period and you've got this early middle and late archaic and you wanted to talk about calf creek points a little bit uh they are describe it to us oh it's they're beautiful uh they're very wide and can be long but they're generally fairly short and and they have notching deep notching that can be sometimes a half an inch or an inch deep that goes into the base of the arrowhead they're they're hard to describe um but they're they're very unique and and there are similar point types called andis and bell points that are found more down into texas but it's generally believed they're the same arrowhead they're the same Mm. projectile point um but they're they're gorgeous points uh they're unique there's nothing like them anywhere else in north america and then they're they're from right here they are they they start up central are we in the uh, we're kind of in the east central ozarks yeah i would say and and you know they these points can be found up into central missouri down into uh, north central and central arkansas over into northern texas uh, northern louisiana over in encompasses much of kansas and oklahoma also these people we know were hunting bison 
they were hunting bison with these. And mm. for a long time, it was believed that this was a knife type. It was not a projectile point. Oh. And that's been disproven. And, and if you have Internet access, you need to look this up. There was a Calf Creek point that was found embedded in a bison skull. Mm. And, and studies were done on it, and it was authenticated. There's always a question when you find something like that. Did somebody shove that in there? Right, yeah, but, yeah. but it's been well studied, and it's been proven to be the mm. real deal. So they were, they were chunking these things at bison. and Atlatls? You bet. Or spears? Yes, probably most likely atlatls. When, when were these, what period, time period would the Calf Creek have been? Middle and late archaic is, is where so they So they would have been them. using yeah. atlatls you at bet. that point. You bet. And so, yeah, so this Calf Creek technology is like way different. It is. It's totally now, different. Now, it would have, uh, I think in modern terms, Adam, we would have called this almost like a barbed broadhead. Yeah. A barbed broadhead yeah. by definition means that the 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 blade of the point extends below mm-hmm. the point where the arrow touches the, right. the broadhead. Right. I mean, there's regulations about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. You, like in Alaska and, and Idaho, you can't use the barb broadhead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it's like where it goes down. So like on these Calf Creek points, the the haft, it's, it seems like the, would the blades have extended below where the haft went up? They most definitely would have, sometimes even an inch. Oh, this is totally some. a barbed oh, broadhead. Yeah. yeah, it's a barbed broadhead. You couldn't broadhead. use these in Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, uh, they, what that did is it, is it increased the cutting edge on it. And if they could okay. shove that thing into, into there, you know, lethality is not necessarily always about penetration. Uh, okay. it ha- a lot of times it has to do with how much stuff can you cut. So I've, these are wide. Right. Yeah. And I, I've shot deer with a bow that didn't run nearly as far as a deer I've shot with a thirty out six. you know, that went out the outside of the – because it, you, shoot a, you shoot an arrow in there and it's cutting stuff, that thing bleeds out real quick yeah. a lot of times, yeah. and it drops real quick if you can hit the A order or something like that. And so they, they were onto something. Uh, you know, they were – Now, these aren't real sharp points. No. Or, well, when I say sharp, I mean like uh, right. some of these, like the the Clovis points are like these long yeah. kind of like. They don't have an acute angle on the tip of it, I think okay. is what you're trying yeah, to say. Yeah, it's kind of more yeah. rounded More almost. rounded, yeah. And, and by the location where this, you know, Calf Creek point was found in this bison skull, um, it looks like it was trying to be, they were trying to shoot it in the back of the neck or maybe up in the neck area. I think they were onto something, is my, my opinion. I think they were trying to, to cut its you know okay they were like this right. is where you want to hit one with one right. of these things well, they would have been just like right. us like tell, saying what? this is where you shoot a deer this right. is where you shoot a bear why would you want to shoot a bison through the thickest part of the body you know where it's got a big hump uh, full of fat you know when you've got a, an exposed neck veins you know jugular veins carotid arteries things like mm. that you know so that's my opinion yeah you know, for what it's worth. so and just for just to say it there would have totally been bison here oh yeah i mean even even in the 1800s, there oh, were bison bet. in Arkansas you bet. You bet. and I, elk and I, wolves bet. and mountain lions mm-hmm. and tons of crazy and, stuff. And I've read some really unbelievable uh, numbers on how many bison at one time roamed the United States. Uh, it, it was in the tens of millions. I mean, maybe as many as 80 or 90 or 100 million bison right. in North right. America. That's a lot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Kind of debunks that greenhouse gas thing, too, from cows, too, because there were lots there of were bison, a lot of bison yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. Putting out some greenhouse gas. Yvette. So the Calf Creek, though, uh, now why is Calf Creek 
if there's Calf Creek other places, why do we know that it started here? Or is this like the epicenter of it? It really is. The first place that these were described uh, or found and described was was in a cave up in Searcy County, Arkansas, called Calf Creek Cave. Okay. Uh, it's also called Snowball Cave. It's it actually has another name too. I've heard too, but. But Don Dickinson, an archaeologist, did a lot of excavation up in Calf Creek Cave and, and found these there. Um, and so he named the point type after Calf Creek. Um, okay. But this this And then area, they found the technology in other places. They did, yeah. Okay, and so this area, really, if you were going to put a pin in the middle of the distribution, it would probably be somewhere around Fayetteville, Arkansas, I would say. Is that you right? Know, yeah. So but I could it, find one of those in my front yard? You sure could. Yeah, really? you can. And and, and I've I, we found a piece of one here at the Grayside in, in Izzard County. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So they're here, you know, and, wow. and, and they hunted primarily bison. You know, that's what they were doing. They were still, that wow. was their economy was bison hunting, you know. Wow. And that would have been in the archaic period. Right, right. That Probably middle period. and late archaic. Yeah. Um, man, that clarifies a lot. That is also yeah, and, and for any, perfect. Anybody that out there is, that's listening, you ought to look up a Calf Creek projectile point just to get a visual of what that looks like. They're just it's absolutely beautiful point. They're You've gorgeous. Got, Five yeah. or six here, yeah, in yeah. your collection, or or maybe more than that. Yeah, and but, they're they're one of my favorites. They're yeah. you know anybody that's got a nice calf creek, and they're they're actually one of the more valuable point types because they're so rare. Those ears that stick down so far, they break. Wow. Uh, they're they're most often found broken. You know, wow. by far, if you find wow. if you have an intact calf creek point, you have a nice point. Yeah, that's something. Yeah, um, man, that answers a whole lot of questions that I had. Okay. Is there, well, let me transition into another, another section. What about people finding points? How do you find stone points? There are a lot of different ways to do that. Um, I think a lot of people just walk creeks. Uh, For some reason, you know, the sites that contain these points were on water. They were on creeks and floods come through and they rode out a bank and they wash into the creek and you, and you find them. They just become a part of the creek system. They're just in gravel bars. They're just rolling along the creek. Would you say, this is a thought that I've had. I've found a few points in creeks is that you find like gravel distributes based upon size in creeks. Mm -hmm. Just mm-hmm. based upon water flow, like you know, there's areas of a gravel bar where there's the big rocks, right. small rocks, fine rocks. Mm-hmm. So you look in the areas where there's the size rocks that would be the size of a projectile point. Exactly, Is that right? Exactly right. Because they that that they, creek mm-hmm. starts to filter out stuff based they upon do. size. It sure does. It's just okay. like it's just like painting for gold. You, yeah. know, you start filtering out bigger stuff and then smaller and smaller, and eventually you work it down to you've got a layer of of stuff in there that's got the gold dust in it. Same thing with arrowheads. Once you figure okay. out where you're looking. Uh, I've got a little nook down here in my creek that I've been wanting to look at. It makes a hard, sharp right-hand turn at the bottom of it. It's a lot deeper there than it is just upstream. And all these rocks are are, are layering down in the bottom of this as they fall out of the current. Mm. And so we're going to get down there one of these days with a shovel and just and just uh, take shovels full of that and, and run, run it through a filter yeah, or run something. it through the screen, screen. And, and see what we find, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's trial and error. It's, yeah. it's, it's neat. So, so walking creeks. Mm-hmm. That's and, one way to do it. Okay. What else? Um, walking fields that have been plowed for agriculture is another way to do it too. That's uh, probably a biggest, the biggest well, way it, that people it, find stuff. It has been for the last 150 years, but that's changing a lot because they've gone to a lot of no-till technology now, especially oh, up okay. in, the, in the Midwestern states. Okay. They're, they're trying to conserve that layer of good dirt, and so they're, they're, they're drilling stuff in now. Right, yeah. A lot, lot less of it now, but this is, this is how a lot of this stuff got found. You know, old collection points, they, they would plow a field with mules 
And I've heard stories here in my yard where we find these points that they were actually plowing this field with mules and they would pick up these arrowheads and sometimes they were pretty good size and very sharp. They would put them in buckets and go dump them out somewhere to keep the mules <laughs> from cutting their feet, you know, oh, wow. and they didn't even regard these things as being anything culturally important or valuable or anything. Wow. They were a pain in their rear. You wow. Know? <laughs> it's like finding a knife blade out in your right. yard and you throw it to the edge right. so you know, cut something. Get out of the That's way. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wow. imagine that, you know, but here's a question about plowing. How deep are these? Because. I've I've heard a, a a friend of mine a friend of ours over here Paul Lee they they do some digging on mm-hmm. private land you can't right. dig on public land mm-hmm. Not you got to have you got to have that's a big no no big 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 no no so that's yeah. but if you have private land and you have permission it's your right. land you can dig some of these you limestone sure bluffs and stuff and they're finding points like way deep in the ground you bet that doesn't make any sense to me yeah it depends um you know older stuff is deeper that's a general rule just because it's just sediment is just built up and it kind of depends on how fast the sediment's building up if you've got a creek that ever gets under the floodplain, you know of of a creek and this overhangs getting flooded and and silt and sands washing in there it could be it could be stuff buried under right it could be 10 15 feet deep but it Mm -hmm. may just be inches you just don't know Um, and so uh, if you're looking for for place for places to hunt, you, you go into a cave. They say, you, you, and I've never dug a cave. I haven't had that experience yet. But you go back to the back of the cave and dig straight down, and and you define how deep the artifacts are. You know, you just okay. dig it, dig it straight down. So, but uh, I haven't had the chance to do that yet. Well, and, and Paul that, Lee, you yeah, haven't invited me yeah, yet. <laughs> yeah, hopefully he'll hear this. Yeah, because my question was about like in your plowed field. Like, right. are you? I mean, there's a point where there just isn't anything below that it point. It stops, yeah. Where yeah. is that? Uh, here, it's different for everywhere, I it guess. It is, and it's different even in this field here. Uh, some places we have found stuff down that's it's probably two feet deep, and some places it's very shallow before you hit that clay layer right. that doesn't have anything in it. kind of depends on the topography and what's right. eroded off, what's washed off, and what hasn't. So it could be on the surface. It could be two, three feet deep. Um, okay. It just, just depends, you know. Because these people have been here for – 15,000 years, 13,000 years. Long So just sediment changes, soil builds. You bet. You know, one of the interesting things about this field here that I have at my house where we we find points, Izzard County is not exactly well known for its high-quality soil. Yeah. Nowhere in the Ozarks is. (laughs) We've got a few rocks here. But this particular field has actually got really good soil. And uh, in my opinion is, is that it probably is an accumulated bio-layer of occupation over a long period of time. These people were you know, eating and they had refuse and yeah. things like that. And it just builds up a good organic layer of dirt in it. Yeah. Uh, it's just kind of strange. Walking creeks, plowing fields. We just talked about digging in overhangs, which yep. is something that is mm-hmm. common in the Ozarks. It is. Only on private land where you it have is. permission, they'll throw you in jail if you, you do it in public land. You bet. That's a big deal. So what What other ways do you find airheads? Flea markets. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let somebody else find <laughs> them and go exactly buy them right. from No, yeah. Uh, you know, everybody in this county knows that I'm, a, I'm an airhead collector. So I find I have a lot of people come to me and, you know, want me to look at their stuff. And so sometimes you find them without having to set foot out of your house. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but going back to finding them uh, other ways you can find them you know liam you have any other ideas how you find them what what about like location because i'm 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 actually formulating an article that i'm going to write about how to find stone projectile Mm -hmm. points so i'm 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 take usurping resource from you to write my article uh what about uh 
you told me that this, like where you live, right? Describe to me why this is a good site. Because right here, just a random piece of property you bought. I mean, right. quote unquote random. Mm-hmm. You built your house here, and you found. I mean, hundreds of stone projectile points and flakes and. Well, what makes this good? Like if somebody were to go out and find something like this on their own. My dad always told me good property is good property. And if it's good mm. property now, it was good property 10,000 years ago. It's wow. got, it's I've got, never thought of that. That it, makes sense. It's got water on it. And you know, you've got some springs, you've got water, water holds game, uh, water makes things grow. And it's so, flat. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, you're looking for, for places that have springs coming out of nowhere, good cold water, that's running water. You know, those people knew that drinking stagnant water was probably not very good for you. Yeah. And if, so, if they didn't, they learned quick when they died. They sure died. did. They sure did. <laughs> and so they stayed pretty close to water. Mm. And uh, and they lived close to water. And where they lived is where they dropped things. And yeah. so that's probably the number one. Now, the paleo people were maybe a little bit different. If you're looking for, for Clovis points or things like that, you're probably going to be looking for... Um, an area where they may have been trying to catch mammoth or mastodon crossing a creek uh, in a mm. really hilly area like this. There tend to be lower areas where animals still to this day cross the creek okay. more frequently than they do. They're, you know, they're not going to go from one bluff over to the other bluff. They're going to go look for a low spot. I see. And that's where they'd ambush these things where they can't get away. You know, mm. they get them down in a low area like that and in water. You know, five feet of water is going to make a mastodon a heck of a lot less tenacious <laughs> than if he's up on his, you know, yeah, yeah, get yeah. him where he's weak. Yeah. Know? So that's that's where they find a lot of these is, is lower areas, creek crossings. Okay. And, and that's the paleo. But after that, you're looking for springs. You're yeah. looking for water yeah. more than anything. You know, this is just a the way that I've found heads is uh, you've got to have bare dirt. Mm-hmm. You're not going to find an arrowhead underneath a layer of thick leaves out in the no. woods. No, you're not. You're not going to find an arrowhead under a layer of thick grass. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I... I the places I deer hunt, the places I coon hunt. Last night I went coon hunting. I was looking for arrowheads the whole time on cattle trails and then like mm-hmm. and, and just wherever there's bare dirt, right, you have the potential to find an arrowhead. And as the as the soil washes away in these places where there's exposed dirt because of livestock or because of whatever, it could be where they I mean, the first arrowhead I found on my property actually wasn't because of my mules. It was because I was pushing some brush with my tractor mm-hmm. and skinned up the ground. Right. And like three weeks later, after it rained mm-hmm. and it washed the dirt, the surface of that dirt off, I found a head. So basically, just anywhere there's an exposed bank, creek bank. I've heard of people finding them on cut banks of a creek, mm-hmm. you know, like the outside bend of a creek that yep. where it's continually that, cutting. That happens a lot. You'll you'll come across a cut bank like that, and you'll see some flint or maybe some even some mussel shells, like discarded mussel shells or something like that, that showed a habitation area. Yeah. And then you know it's on. You know, yeah. that's, that's where it is. Well, and that's another good point, and I'm formulating my article as we speak. Where... Like on my property, I find that we could go out there right now, and I guarantee you we could find flint flakes. Mm-hmm. I mean, every time I walk out there, find flint flakes. And there's no flint in in the area that mm-hmm. I'm at. I mean, yes. like in northwest Arkansas, where, right where I'm at, we've got sandstone and limestone. And mm-hmm. I mean, that is – right for, for what I know of there, that's all we have. They were getting their chert and flint and stone materials from somewhere right. else. Right. Maybe not very far away. There's mm-hmm. some places not very far away where they're getting it. Yeah. But so when I see like pink rocks and white rocks and mm-hmm. 
pick it up and it's that smooth flinty chirp. You bet. I mean, that is the evidence of percussion napping. You Am bet. I right? You're right. You're and absolutely so right. Where you find if you can find flint flakes, then you know that you're 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 in the ballpark. And I learned this just because I watched a guy nap some arrowheads is that there's a tremendous amount of refuse. There is. I mean, yes. like so if you have one arrowhead to make one arrowhead, you would have a a hundred <laughs> flakes yes. or more. You know? See, I think that's something that I, I wouldn't have known unless I'd seen somebody do it. Right. So these little flakes that you find indicate that Native Americans were here. They were working on stone tools. Mm-hmm. And so there's surely intact stone tools somewhere. Right. Right. So, They're there. Yeah. And, um, you know, this this flint in, in church that you're talking about, uh, you're right. The, the Ozark Mountains just don't have... Um, certain types of rocks that they have in southern Arkansas or out at Yellowstone Park. We we have sedimentary rock here. It's okay. sandstone. It's limestone. It's not adequate for really any kind so of tool flint making. would be a metamorphic rock it, formed it, it by would heat. Be. That's is exactly it? right. I don't it's know a, if it is. It's a sedimentary rock, and it just gets compressed over time, and certain nodules of that would form within these layers of limestone and sandstone in the bluffs. Okay. And so the, the, the white— Now, metamorphic? Probably so, yes. Okay. Compressed by heat, you bet. Okay, okay. compressed just by clarifying. heat and just sheer weight of limestone. Okay, um, but but these, you know, in the White River, the, the the river's been cutting through these limestone bluffs for so long, it exposes a lot of these nodules. They they fall out, the nodules fall out and roll around in the river for a long time. They get a, a river. A, it's a cortex. It's called a, a brownish color on the outside of the rock. But if you take that rock and and you break it open, you don't know what you're going to find. It may be black pick and chert, the most beautiful colored chert you've ever seen it may be some blue and white mottled looking uh, pinner's chert and and some of these are really good at making bifaces with because they retain a really sharp edge tell me what a biface you know, is a you've biface. used it before yeah a, a biface is kind of a generic term for any uh arrowhead projectile point double-sided point, two sides yes generally both sides of it okay. are mapped and so they're they're working on one side and turning it over and making it two-faced um, so, face. yep, by face reduction uh, technology, and, and and that's what that's what you make airheads with, and and yeah. this, you know they had to find that kind of rock, and when they find a good source of it, they would go back to that source over and over and over again, and there are known quarry sites in you know this area and all over the country, and um, they would have. Th- this was news to me just since in the last few years, but they wouldn't. So if they were if they were trading and getting this stuff from other places. They wouldn't carry a 25-pound stone back 50 miles to wherever they were going to nap it, but they would make what? What do you call it? What they would do? They would make a. What they would do is they would take that rock and they knock pieces out of it, and they probably would knock it down into a manageable, maybe hand-sized piece of flint or chert that they could put maybe put in a bag of some type and carry it with them. They would call that a quarry blank. Okay, um, yeah, a, blank. a blank that they had quarried out of somewhere, and then when they so people find those a lot. I, I've do. got a nice mm-hmm. blank, or I feel like it's probably a yeah. blank. Yeah, it's, it's about that big, mm-hmm. as big around as a baseball. Yeah, about half an inch thick, fairly developed, but still pretty rough. Right. So it was probably a blank mm-hmm. that probably somebody was. just lost. Yep. Or, yep. And and a lot of times they would take those blanks and they would try to work it down into a nice 
point of some type and there may have been what they call a stack on there there may have been a piece of rock inside that that they just couldn't get it knocked off there right and they finally just got mad and threw it down and said i'm gonna mm. <laughs> move along to a different piece so we find a lot of quarry blanks out here in in, in my field yeah. too and and sometimes they you don't know why they lost it sometimes you can tell they were having a hard time piecing that working that particular just piece got of, rid of it just got done with it yeah done with wow. that <laughs> you know that's the interesting thing to think about is why they all these how all these points got here but yeah some would have been broken while they were working on them mm-hmm. some would have been broken when they shot at something some yeah. were full pieces that just got lost mm-hmm. some were I, yeah i don't know i some guess were, the, some were most most assuredly buried with people you know buried with, you yeah, yeah 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 you, you said they used mm-hmm. to do that you bet hmm. they did you know well man this has been uh fascinating thank you so much for letting me come out i mean i just met you today yeah we we talked we spoke on the phone this last week uh we had to come over here to buy a squirrel dog which is high priority stuff for us <laughs> yeah we had to come over in this part of the world and man i'm so glad we connected you, you did bet. exactly what i wanted to do i mean if no one listens to this but me i'll be happy but yeah. uh they will this is this is really interesting stuff and i think somebody could listen to this and have a really good picture I know I have a much better picture Good. of 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 what was happening in the time periods and and the different even the dispersal of humans the dispersal of technology. So anyway, well, I'm, thank I'm, you. I'm glad you came out, and it, it, it's always exciting to me to, to 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 see anybody that's interested in this. And I, you know, when you're passionate about something and you really like something, you you can't yeah. wait to talk about it with somebody. Yeah. So I'm glad you came up today, and and maybe you can get your boys into this too. And yeah, you know, on a on a personal note with this, this this hunting that we do has really brought my family together. It's getting yeah. my, my kids off their phones. Uh, it's yeah. getting them outside. We're yeah. seeing nature. We're walking. We're talking. We're interacting with each other. We're talking to each other yeah you know this is a good thing it's it's a good clean fun if you're doing it the right way yeah and and really you know you're you're learning a lot it's a good thing yes it really is i mean we my boys have been super intrigued by finding these points in our front yard yeah i mean it it just unlocks this it's just this mystery Mm -hmm. you know of these humans that lived here before us that were hunting critters on our land and camping and uh, you know, well, it makes you really think: Is it our land at all? Yeah, it's their land, maybe. Yeah, we're just on it now. Just, just temporarily. Yeah, staying on yeah. it right now. And yeah. you know, I'm, I'm glad to have you out. And I hope to have you back out here sometime. Yeah, too. if you want to come back, we'll find some airheads together. How's that? Yeah, sound? that sounds awesome. And hey, I, you just got me started. I mean, I, I'm. We may do a follow-up podcast one of these days with some more questions. Or yep. but, hopefully, you can get some stills today too, and maybe show some people some. Yes, I will. We'll, so. we'll put some. We'll put some stills on our uh, on our website. So on our website, we'll have the podcast posted, and and I will put some still photos of some of these points here in your library. Good deal. On there for sure. Good deal. But uh, hey, so this is the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. So we we have a closing thing that I always say. So and it's keep the wild places wild because that's where the bears live, you bet. and that's where the Native Americans lived and shot bears with stone projectile points. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. 
It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, campfire, and camp stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with ahi verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold.